0: Welcome to Salty Conversations, podcast of Saltbush uniting the scattered community. This is number five in a series of six conversations in Christian community. Our guest today is Reverend Dr. Sarah Batchelard, founder of Benedictus Contemplating Church in Canberra and teacher in the World Community for Christian Meditation. I'm Jeff Wellington, one of the Saltbush Community Ministers. So, welcome everybody to push conversations solid conversations and um, it's a great pleasure to have Reverend dr. Sarah Bachelard here with us today it's um, been my pleasure over the, my time in Canberra to be part of the Benedictus congregation from time to time as often as I could and uh, Sarah of course is one of is the founder of Benedictus in Canberra and she's also very well known both um, nationally here in Australia but also internationally for her work in the contemplative church area. So we're, we're very fortunate to have Sarah with us today. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you. We're going to um, be talking quite a bit today about the contemplative life and how that might uh, shape our understanding of um, community and uh, how it might help us to think about uh, where community forms, where Christian community forms, and how we might go about doing some of those things. If you've got some comments or questions, uh, remember you can put it in the chat and we'll do our best to integrate that as we go along. Um, but at the end we'll have a chance to to have a quick chat too and ask some questions of Sarah and get a bit of a conversation going. So I'm really are looking forward to that. So, Sarah, we like to um, hear a little bit about people and um, who they are and what they do, and uh, something just to uh, kick us off for the moment. So, who are you, Sarah? <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, th- thanks, Jeff, and hello, everyone, and um, it's lovely to be with you. And uh, you know, uh, I know Jeff's work with Saltbush Bush has been, you know, really close to his heart, and um, Significant, and so it's really lovely for me to get a a chance to just touch in a little bit um, with that. Um, So, who am I? Well, um, I I grew up in Canberra, actually, um, and still live here. Although I've had bits of time away at at various um, various parts of my life. Um, I am ordained. 14 years ago now as an Anglican um, priest, but for the last nine years have been leading Benedictus, which is an ecumenical um, worshipping community. We have people from all different denominational backgrounds and, and and even people who haven't particularly had a background in church before. Um, and currently we meet at St Ninian's Uniting Church here in Canberra in Lynham, which I don't know if any of you have been to Canberra and know that church. It's one of the oldest ones in Canberra. So um, that's sort of where I'm situated at the moment. Um, And just in terms of family, I I, um, sort of um, partnered later in life, so I don't have my own children, but I've got a um, couple of adults. My partner has two adult sons and two grandsons, so I'm kind of entering a bit later into life into... (laughs) Family, um, and uh, my mum is still alive, and she she lives in Canberra. So,
0: yeah. So, can you tell us a little bit more about um, Benedictus, Sarah, and you know some of some of the aims of Benedictus and how it goes about things?
1: Yeah. So, um, Benedictus, the the word just means blessed. So, um, and so we chose that name um and our little tagline for benedictus is is blessed to be a blessing so this sense that we as christian communities we receive blessing um from god in order that we go out and you know bless others hopefully Um, so uh it's so kind of it's a little hard to know where to start so I'll just say a few things but I am really interested in what your questions are and and um, and kind of the things that you're interested in um it's called Benedictus contemplative church um and I'm not sure how familiar that notion of contemplation is is but many of you might know that um there's a Contemplative prayer is is essentially a kind of a, a prayer of silence or of, of and of waiting on God. So a, a lot of praying that we do is we're speaking to God or having a conversation with God or even imagining um, or praying the scriptures and all all those kinds of prayer are important and and valid. Um, then contemplative prayer is the prayer of listening, really, or of waiting or of silence. Um, and so it's where we seek not only not to say words, not to speak aloud, but even to come to a bit more silence inside ourselves, so so that we're not even thinking um, our own thoughts or worrying our own worries or <laughs> planning our plans. We we're, we're trying to be really just still silent receptive um, waiting on God is is a phrase and that's been a really profoundly important form of prayer for me and I know Alison um, who's here is also very much a part of that um, kind of practice and I guess what I my experience of life in church is often that churches can be quite um uh non-silent places. Like we we can end up spending a lot of time filling in the space with our words or with singing or with you know our actions or whatever. And I was interested in what would it be like to found a worshipping community or to, to, to be part of a worshiping community where this intentional practice of silence was was integral to the worship and to our time together and in that space and in that listening, that sort of trusting for, for um, that, 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 that that is a, a deep form of prayer and a transformative form of prayer. So the idea of Benedictus was just to originally to create a service where... Not only do we have fifteen minutes of silence in the middle of the service, but a lot of the other parts of the service are are much pared down. So, so there's you know the lim- the liturgy or the you know the words that we pray as opening responses are quite simple, and then there's some silence and space between that, and then we you know have a reading. And so, yeah, that was the idea of Benedictus. Yeah,
0: and across um, the centuries, of course, to Sarah, it, this um, idea of contemplative life and prayer and a way of being in the world, has uh, been really significant for the church, hasn't it? And, and perhaps you can start to tell us, you know, about one or two of those sorts of people who've really shaped that thinking and understanding for the church over such a long period of time.
1: Yeah. So I, I think um, that's exactly right, Jeff. and um, sometimes, I mean, so so part of the the practice of benedictus is like i said this this period of silence which we also call meditation and people um we often think that meditation is something that has come from the east you know from buddhist tradition or or hindu tradition or but it's actually right at the heart of the christian tradition too it's just that for some reason we, we sort of remember about it and then as a church we forget about it and then we, oh, someone remembers and, <laughs> and then, oh, we forget it again. And so you can trace it right back to the third and fourth centuries of the um, desert monasticism, the Egyptian desert, but even you can trace it back to the New Testament um, and you might remember all those times where it sort of talks about Jesus going off to, to pray by himself, um, to, pr- to pray, you know, in silence, to, to pray to God by himself overnight. And um, so there's... And he obviously, he still went to the synagogue, he still engaged in other kinds of public worship, but he also had this practice of, of the prayer of solitude and, and, and silence. And then so that becomes very much a feature of monastic prayer, especially early on the desert monastic tradition where there are a lot of hermits um, sort of sitting in their cells um, praying praying without ceasing um, was their their aim. Um, And then, yeah, through the centuries, as I said, especially in the Western Christian tradition, it's interesting that Eastern Orthodox tradition seems to have kept alive a, a general practice of contemplation a bit better than the Western Christian tradition has done. But some of you might have heard of there's a book that was written in the 14th century by an English monk called The Cloud of Unknowing and that's a, that's really a, a, a treatise on on this form of prayer, this contemplative prayer, um, comes up again in some of the other major major teachers. And then I guess particular um, community of um, Christian contemplation that I've been involved with and Alison too, the World Community for Christian Meditation, it traces its roots back to that early desert tradition um, but rediscovered and, and um, kind of given renewed impetus um, by someone who's called John Maine and he was a Benedictine monk mm-hmm. um, writing in the 1970s and 80s.
0: So, what got you interested um, in this, Sarah? Where did where did all that um, influence come from?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I guess for me, where it came from is so I grew up in the Anglican Church. Um, not, I wasn't a, didn't have a particularly religious family or upbringing, but I was always drawn to you know to something and 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 went and uh, but I and, and that was very significant for me in my teenage years and my early 20s but part of what I struggled with was to to really feel like I was on the inside of faith to to really feel like it came alive for me so you know we would say certain words or certain things would be said and and I would struggle to feel like yeah, I know that, or I I I, you know, I, I get that. I wanted to have faith, but but it was like I was just trying really hard. <laughs> um and I guess, yeah, I guess a part of what I wanted was an ex- experience, not in the sense of some, you know, bells and whistles kind of experience, but just a, a my own a felt sense, a felt knowledge. Um and I really struggle with that, and and in the end, I, I actually left the church for about ten years because I I felt like, like nothing happened. I couldn't I couldn't get there, and it was just I couldn't. It was like oh well, I tried hard, but God didn't show up, and so, <laughs> um, and uh, for me, for me, what the way of contemplation or this silent prayer meant was that. At a time when I just didn't know what I believed or whether I could believe or what was true, I felt like it, it would be terrible to give your life to something that wasn't true. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, at a, at a time when I, I, I didn't know if it was true, um, I didn't know how to pray, what words you could say that had any integrity but i could be still and i could be silent and i could just shut up inside myself <laughs> and stop thinking and or at least try a bit to stop thinking and to trust that if god really is god and and if it is real and if there is a truth to this that if i just get myself a little bit more out of the way I might touch that or it might touch me or <laughs> that, that that something might open up and reveal itself. So really what drew me to it was the fact that I wasn't thinking about it because I couldn't trust my own thinking, I guess, and my own feeling. So this idea, I, I just, I'll just show up and I'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wonder too, Sarah, like the... Um, the monastic tradition in that sense too has had a rhythm to, to life and, you know, there is time for prayer and work and everything you do in life sort of has a, fits into a slot, if you like, and it, and it creates a a pattern for life, if you like. And I wonder whether you can talk to us a little bit about how that sort of fits into the sense of contemplative life.
1: Yeah, and, and again, I, I guess... This is part of, follows on, I guess, from what I was just saying. I I think I'd grown up thinking that having faith or being a Christian was about what you thought, like what you believed and um, whether you could say you believed certain things and then doing good things for other people, you know, it was that combination. But But what I hadn't really been given in my formation was a practice was something I could just do and trust that the practice itself might lead me into a fuller you know fuller truth or fuller self-knowledge or and so I, I think at the heart of the contemplative life is this idea of a practice um which is not yeah, which isn't just what I think or feel, um, and that connects with what Jeff is saying. There's then there's a rhythm. So you you in say what I practice and encourage others to is to have a, a twice daily um, time of silent prayer of meditation, um, and obviously different when you're a monk and and. You know, monks are busy people, actually. (laughs) They have a lot to do to keep things going and run the farm and all of that. Um, But still there is a kind of a rhythm of life where this um, commitment to returning after a time of um, work or a time of reading or a time of conversation or interaction with people, you come back into that silence and listening and then you come out of it into your work um and it's that rhythm it's a bit like some some writers talk about it in terms of the in-breath and the out-breath you know you kind of it's, it's the time you kind of breathe in and you kind of come back to yourself um and god and then you breathe out and you go out and do what you need to do in the world and then you come back again it's 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 something like that
0: yeah uh, for me anyway there's a great appeal i think to to this sense of, of integrating our life and our work and uh, our faith and and how we, we interact with all those things together, that um, the contemplative life is very appealing in that sense, and I think I think that that's one reason why the new monastic sort of movement's actually gaining traction again at the moment. Um, as a, particularly in the West, we've we've you know we've had this dualistic sort of mind about well you know faith and uh, stuff's over here in the personal sphere, and the public life is somewhere else, and that the two things don't mm-hmm. quite meet up together.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's right, and and we also um, get very caught up in in the busyness of life and and the doing, and we've all got things to do. I mean, you know that that that's that's not wrong and it's it's necessary, but if that's all we do and we just get on this treadmill of, of kind of constantly doing and getting busier and busier and more, in a sense, outward um, and don't have this something that balances and brings us back, then I don't know if you find this, but certainly for me, I feel like I get more and more stretched and more and more kind of frazzled, and, <laughs> and 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 what I do bring to the outer world doesn't come out of much a sense of peace or integration. It's just like ah, <laughs> um,
0: yeah. It's More and more frantic as it gets it goes along. Yeah. yeah. I wonder, Sarah, can you talk to us a little bit about then how um, how you've shaped started to shape. The life of Benedictus, and um, to help people to start to shape Christian community um, for for that group of people, and what we what we might learn out of some of that.
1: Yeah. Well. Um, again, I guess part of part of how I thought about shaping Benedictus was. Um, trying to to offer something that that was a practice and that did actually was a practice that if you did it over time and faithfully would lead you into um, deeper into a relationship with God, deeper into relationship with yourself, um, and so, at the heart of the the worship service of Benedictus is this is this silence, is this spaciousness, which is it's not just something we talk about. So it's not we talk about prayer or we talk about contemplation, but we actually do it together. And we um, and and then out of that, we started to to think about or really we didn't start to think about just stuff started naturally to evolve that was a a, a kind of an expression of that so one of the things was I'm, I'm a little conscious of being scattered in my answer here but anyway um, I guess a couple of things were important to me one was I was aware that people who come to Benedictus, people who come to church, they've already got lots of commitments, they're already doing stuff in the world, they're already, you know, perhaps contributing to the community in a whole range of ways. My observation of church, quite a bit of the church life that I'd been involved in, was that churches can start to get focused on getting people to do things for the church or or get focused on what are we as the church going to do for mission or to serve the community or whatever, and then people are kind of drawn in in order to, to do that. And that can be beautiful and, and appropriate and, you know, that could can be Um, what people have energy for. I had a sense that many of the people who were drawn to Benedictus initially were already very busy in their lives in the world, already contributing a lot. And we didn't need to add that by adding church-sponsored activities. What we needed to do, like our mission was to actually Enable people to come back and have that space be renewed, um, reconnect with themselves and with God, so as to go out into the work that they were already doing. So, in that sense, to take seriously the vocation of um, the members of the congregation in all different spheres, and to trust that that what we offered was a part of their fulfilling that, rather than having us to feel like we were doing a lot as a corporate body does that make sense um so that was one of my one one thing and another element that really shaped how we thought about forming the community again i guess based on my some of my previous experience in church communities but that sense that it is possible to be part of a church, or you know, come to a service for most of your life, and and not really have been deeply changed, or or deeply transformed, or um, uh, kind of entered into the, the promise of the gospel. You know, entered into the, that 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 peace, that integration, understanding there is a journey, a deepening journey to go on, and I wanted Benedictus to be a place where people could could take that deeper journey, could, you know, there would be opportunities and encouragement to, for deepening self-knowledge, um, for transformation rather than just, being a community which did certain kinds of activities and then we all went away again. So, those were two kind of really key building block elements, and then out of that, we discerned what, what we did. Yeah, yeah.
0: And you, you um, have um, some things that you talk about, Benedictus's practice of, of hospitality, silence, discernment, reconciliation, and adventure. How, how do those those five things actually fit in, in with what you've just been saying yeah
1: I guess we thought it, it helps always to to try to distill what what are some of the core um, uh, things that you feel called to and also that you want to offer and I all those five things for me are a real um um Expressions of a contemplative way of prayer and a contemplative way of life. So, so hospitality means welcoming, welcoming what is, is the heart of hospitality. So it doesn't just mean being nice to the visitor at the who comes <laughs> to church, although it does mean that. Okay. Um, but it, it's also hospitality to ourselves. It's hospitality to the situation we're in it's hospitality it's that kind of non-resistance so a real central part of contemplative life is being able to embrace or seek to embrace the whole of it and and that's what this mark of hospitality is about for us everything is grist for the mill <laughs> if you're interested in growth and transformation
0: and it's and not hard. um and not sorry so not not um Not being too concerned about having everybody conforming to a particular space or set of beliefs either necessarily.
1: That's right because I guess, again, the the thing that binds us together or the the heart of us is the practice and we trust that the practice itself will lead people in their own way and in their own time to deepening, you know, truth, faith, (laughs) whatever... You know, whatever that is. So we don't have to from the beginning think, oh well, who who has the who has the right beliefs or who has the right thoughts or you know who's living the right kind of life. It's it's what they're invited into is, is a a practice and a community that is itself formed by that practice. So you know it, it's there's a definite culture, I guess, but we're seeking for not to have preconditions about who can enter into that um, and, and participate in that, yeah.
0: and um, I know because I've been part of the the work that you do around Kaleidoscope. I think is really really interesting aspect to this as well of how we integrate our younger people and families into the contemplative life.
1: Yeah. So. Kaleidoscope is the name for our um, ch- children's afternoon. It's called A um, contempla- a Quiet Afternoon for Children. So um, this is led uh, by a member of our community who's a primary school age, uh, she's not, she's a primary school teacher, um, and she's got a real passion for children's spirituality. And um, so, again, it's this... But, again, the sense is so it's not Sunday school. It, it's not it's not kind of having them come and then teach them our input. It, it's about inviting them into a certain kind of space where they, again, discover for themselves um, the peace of God that is within. Um, so kaleidoscope is, um, you know, it involves a short period of meditation with the children, but it also involves... A, you know, themes uh, which they explore over the course of two and a half hours in an afternoon, Um, you know, the theme for the afternoon might be kindness and then there might be, you know, a story that, you know, children's story that you know, speaks to that theme and then some art activities that they can do. Um, there is the time of silence. There's a gathering circle where they, we begin in a gathering circle where they all sit around on their little mats and make candle mats before they meditate. And, but they might share a thought in response to the story. So, again, they're being taught how to be hospitable to each other, to each other's views, um, to themselves. And, um and to kind of discover that they can slow down, um, that, that, that there's a space where they don't have to be anxious, they don't have to produce something, there's actually time. Um, and so it's a, often a very beautiful afternoon of the children just really, well, they get to take a breath too, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, because it's not just... Us adults who lead a very busy life these days. Yeah, a lot of kids' uh, families are, are really flat out, aren't they? And
1: yeah, and part of what I love about it, and I mean, I'm I'm the genius of this is not at all mine. It's it's Karina who 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 you know offered this and leads it beautifully. Um, but part of her vision for Kaleidoscope and the reason that it's for two and a half hours on a Sunday afternoon is that it actually gives families a little bit of space. It creates space for families. So instead of being another activity that they have to drop them off to and then come back within half an hour or an hour to pick them up and make their Sunday afternoon busy, it actually is trying to create a space in the life of a family. So even though the family isn't at Benedictus or isn't themselves doing anything overtly contemplative, it it has the effect of creating a little bit of space and often the families have said things like, oh, you know, like a a couple can, oh, we had time to go for a walk just ourselves or we had time for, you know, a coffee or I got the shopping done without the kids and that just meant the life, you know, life felt a bit easier or, you know, so this idea of we didn't want to again just make ourselves or anybody else more busy we we're asking this question how do you how do you generate space and and space for contemplation um in in the community for others i mean none of none of the children who come to kaleidoscope none of their parents actually come to benedictus or maybe that's not true one family everybody else it's just the community
0: (laughs) that's amazing yeah sarah i wonder I wonder if you can talk to us a little bit about you know what the church for for many of us we've grown up in denominational um church spaces and yeah. um it's often dominated by the uh you know the the stories of the of that denomination and and the practices of of that but and but so much of that is sort of collapsing around us in in some ways um you know we're we struggle to have enough people in our congregations to support a full-time minister and, you know, where lots of us are scattered across, you know, lots of geographic distance and we don't necessarily connect with each other. And so there, there seems um, it seems to me that we're at a bit of a crisis point for the church in, in one sense, in, in that broad sense. How do, we, how do we start to shape Christian community now? i wonder I wonder what are the pointers from what you've been talking about and the contemplative life that might start um, for us to start to think in, in the sense of being the church, how do we start to start shaping our communities uh, around this idea of a contemplative life
2: mm, mm.
1: i mean this this obviously isn't easy and we all grow up, you know, loving aspects of our tradition and, and again, there's a lot, you know, it's important to honour that and to, you know, to, to kind of honour the, the the ancestors, if you like. And um, I think one of the things about a contemplative practice, so, and maybe just for those of you who, who may not kind of know what it is like, but... Uh, and it's nothing it's nothing big or mysterious or esoteric at all <laughs> it's very simple and very very easy um the what the practice is in in when we come to silent prayer is that we just seek to lay aside our own thoughts our own demands of God, our worries our plans, and we just seek to be silent on the inside as well as the outside now if you try it within you know a nanosecond, you realise you're a hell of a lot busier inside your head than <laughs> maybe you even knew um, and, and thoughts go everywhere. Um, and so usually there's you're given something to hold on to while you're trying to let go everything else. Um, and so often it's either paying attention to your breath or else paying attention to, paying attention to a prayer word. A single word and that's the method i use um and so you just sound that word or phrase and again this is a very ancient practice of christian prayer sometimes people use a phrase of the psalms or a, the jesus prayer or a single word you just you you pay attention to that and that helps you to let go your other thoughts and anxieties and when you and of course those other thoughts do crowd in and you and then you realize oh hang on a sec i'm thinking about dinner i'm thinking about you know and then you just come back to the word and you let it go and what that practice does in those little concentrated times when you do it 15 20 minutes if you do that for a while in what you realise is that just in your life generally at other times when you're not formally praying or contemplating, you realise you become quicker to notice a thought that's just kind of let in and is, is, you know, causing you trouble and you also are quicker to notice uh, um, what the the contemplative tradition would call attachments. So the things I'm hooked by or I'm attached and I just want to keep the same because that's how it is or that's how I want it to be or that's my opinion about that or um, all of that. So I think part of what stops us or or inhibits us from opening to what the spirit might be wanting to do with us all (laughs) at at this time, what can get in the way is our attachment to the way things have been or to the things we've been familiar with or for the things that we rightly want to honour but maybe it's time to begin to let them go and I think that part of what so so this contemplative practice can help us become more aware of the difference between something that now, this is important. I, I need to keep paying attention to this, I need to honor this, I don't need to just trash this. There's that, but then there's also oh I notice there's part of me that's getting really agitated here, or that's really just I just want my way here, or I just don't want to change here. And you start to get that flavor of that, and and I think the more as a whole community we start to increase our capacity to to be aware, the more we can then have a real conversation or really begin to discern, okay, where might we be being led here? And that's where the word, um, Jeff mentioned, one of the words we have as key at Benedictus is the word discernment. And that's what I would think of discernment is about. It's about being becoming able to distinguish between the different qualities of our attachments, if you like, um, and being at least open to the question: Might we have to let this go, or might it be might might this be a season to let this go? Or, um, it's yeah. a long winded answer, Jeff. Is that sort
0: of getting I, towards I think that's really helpful because I think uh, I mean one of the things that I, I'm hearing you saying is is that stopping almost or us giving ourselves a pause to notice. Yeah. Our busyness gets in the way so often about, you know, what what is what is the voice of God actually saying to us within our own being and our own In our own space, and our work, and our families, and our sense of faith and spirituality.
1: Yes. See, I think what can happen in you know for any of us in our lives and in our communities is, and say a church community, we we do the church part. We we you know we go to worship, we pray, we have community, and we and that's very sincere and true, and you know, um, but we do that, and then we think. Okay, now, what are we going to do about the property issue or how do, how are we going to fund the next minister or whatever? and we might still pray about that, we might say a prayer about it <laughs> or 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 we might talk about discernment, but but we're actually not at that deeper layer of discernment um because because again, as Jeff said, there's a little bit of dualism still there's our there's our worship over here, and then there's our parish council meeting over here, which we kind of slap a prayer at the beginning and end of. But really, we do it like we do anything else. Um, how do we become people who can listen at that at that deeper level to our own energy, to the the energy of the community, and the, and the energy of God? You know, the spirit is energy. Yeah.
0: I hope people are forming some comments and questions here. We've been talking for the best part of three quarters of an hour um, and um, I'm really enjoying it, Sarah. I hope you are too um, and others uh, are getting something out of it. But we'd really like to hear from you in, in a short few minutes. So uh, get your questions ready. Um, we're looking forward to what you have to say too. Sarah i wonder if there's some things uh, about the contemplative life you'd like to sort of round round up this little part of it before we start some conversation
3: Hmm.
1: i guess you know so i was thinking about you know this afternoon and and one of the one of the questions that um I don't know if this jumps ahead too much Jeff but the the question about you know we're now in 2030 um what have we done in 2020 mm-hmm. for the is that something I could have a go at yeah, now
0: Yeah yeah please yeah
1: So so Jeff and I had a little um you know back and forth about what we might talk about and and so there's this this little um Question was: Imagine we're now in 2030, and COVID-19 is a thing of the past. The church has grown and changed over that time. What steps would the church have taken back in 2020 to create a Christian community? Um, I thought about that. Was thinking about that, and one of one of the things that strikes me as as desperately needed in our world is is really the core mission of the church, which is a a space, a a place and an awareness of of what I call a third space. So, So much of our world is at the moment especially, is very polarised. It's very, you know, black and white or us and them or different factions. And um, we're really struggling to create and hold spaces where beyond just people's opinions or their left or their right or their conservative or their liberal or, you know, whatever the labels are, just to meet as, you know, as human beings, um, all of all of us, you know, invited to be here. <laughs> all of us um, having something to offer, and without that being all Pollyanna-ish, because it isn't. There's a lot of, you know, um, malformation and 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 kind of um, people very damaged in the world. But but what's what's a space where healing can happen, where, where real conversation can happen, where, where the possibility of growing growing in some sense of a common life could happen. seems to me that's pretty core to what the church is about. Um, historically, of course, we've just fallen into the same kinds of dynamics we have set up different denominations which have been in competition with each other or we've you know we we have set up our own versions of that kind of difference with the collapse of as Jeff said the denominational kind of structures with the uh, it seems to me we we have a real opportunity and, and call to explore what is it, what would it mean to be a people, who are seeking to offer that kind of a a space which would be such a gift to the wider world and that would cross denominations and even cross faiths and cross between faith and no faith because we don't have to, you know, we're not being defensive about any of it. And, again, it seems to me that contemplative practice is really part of what enables that way of being, that unthreatened Hospitable way of being, and that's—I guess—that's what energizes me about who the church is to be for the world. Uh, it's not about us shoring up our um, existence, but it's about—it's about living out of the truth of the kingdom, kind of now. Yeah.
0: Thanks, Sarah. That's 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 wonderful. Got a couple of questions on on the chat side. So, so George and Kay asked about non-resistance in relation to hospitality. And can you say a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, this is a it's a great question, and it's a hell of a lot harder in practice than <laughs> in theory. Um, in many respects, um, I guess. I guess. Just a couple of examples. Um, One is about hospitality to myself. So, for example, sometimes, um, you know, something can happen. It's either very painful or it makes me angry or I have a reaction that I kind of wish I didn't have. (laughs) I I wish I was a bit more saintly than that, but I'm not and I'm (laughs) I'm having this, this reaction. Um, so one option is to, you know, beat that reaction away and say, oh, bad, I shouldn't be having that reaction, I should be a better person, I should, you know, that that kind of conversation. Uh, To be hospitable to it is to say, oh, okay, well, here you are, (laughs) this reaction, um, (laughs) let me, um... I don't have to, you know, I can't, I still wish I wasn't that person. I still wish I, I hadn't had it, but there you go, here I am. I'm and somehow in the in the not just putting up with it, but the kind of the welcoming of it, the kind of acknowledgement of it, it then becomes something I can say, okay, how am I going to respond? Which isn't just either to react. Out of my reaction to the other person but it's also not to just suppress it or beat myself up for it it's it's a more holistic kind of thing and so so it's that getting past that initial resistance that I had to myself I guess and then you can extrapolate that thinking about other people you know someone someone says something that you know offends you a bit or hurts you a bit or um, someone does come to the community who you find difficult or who is annoying or whatever and you just okay I'm aware I've had that reaction Um, I'm trying to welcome that reaction and also make space make space in myself for that person it doesn't mean being a doormat it's not that you let yourself just be trampled on by you know by what anybody does but even when you need to speak against something or, or kind of put a counter view or um, even when you do that, when it comes out of that more spacious place, that's different than when it comes out of that reactive um, space. So that's, that's what I mean by kind of non-resistance in relation to hospitality. Does that, does that make some sense?
0: Um, perhaps um, George or Kay might like to respond to that, but we we do have some some other questions as well. So Sarah and I actually had a quick conversation just before everybody arrived about uh, what's happening post COVID nineteen and getting back together again. Um, and mm. Sarah and I sort of uh, agreed about not rushing um, <laughs> yeah. to get there in a hurry. <laughs> I don't know whether yeah. you want to say anything more about that.
1: But. Yeah. Well, I I, I guess. Um, And I realise it's different in different congregations, um, partly depending on people's facility with online things. Um, Benedictus, we've had our weekly service on Zoom and that's worked quite well. Um, And so because, as you know, the... Getting back together is pretty onerous in terms of the cleaning and and monitoring how many people come and measuring your space and <laughs> all of that. Um, and here in Canberra, as you and and our our Benedicta service happens on a Saturday evening. at 6pm on a Saturday evening. So during winter it's dark and it's cold and I think people are just as happy to do church from their living rooms <laughs> through <laughs> July, August. So I think my sense is we won't resume face-to-face for the main worship until spring. Yeah. Um, some of our smaller groups we will resume, you know, face-to-face earlier. Um, there are some people in the community who who would wish we would come back earlier. That you know, who, who don't like the Zoom. But I think overall, that's that's what we'll do. Yeah. But I, but for example, Neil, um, who my partner, who is here at St Ninians, which is this, um, Uniting Church with a much older congregation who who mostly they haven't been doing Zoom services um, because the technology is a bit tricky, um, they are going to resume earlier. So they'll resume in July yep. okay. is the plan. Thanks,
0: Sarah. That's that's helpful. And then which leads us quite nicely into Alison's uh, uh, question about extroversion and meditation <laughs> and silence. Uh, some of us, unlike me, are extroverts. And what do, you, what do you talk to people about that sort of space?
1: Yeah, I, I think... Um I think I I tend to say a couple of things. One is obviously everything is invitational and so, you know, no one has to do anything (laughs) Um, and you certainly can't force people to to meditate or to to feel drawn by that. Um, I think sometimes that kind of a comment comes out of not quite understanding what meditation is Um, and I also think a lot of people think they should be able to meditate the first time they try um, so they they so they sit down for ten minutes and they find that their thoughts run everywhere and they have no interior silence and they say "I'm no good at that I can't meditate um, and um, and what I always say to that is well one of the things Lawrence Freeman who's the director of the World Community for Christian Meditation says is. Um, you know we meditate because we're distracted if we if we weren't distracted if we weren't all over the place we wouldn't need to practice <laughs> it's kind of like so everybody is distracted everybody spends most of their time with their thoughts running around <laughs> um, and I sometimes use the analogy of of going to a gym. Like nobody walks into a gym for the first time in their life and kind of tries to lift up the heaviest dumbbell and then says, "Oh, I'm I'm hopeless. I can't do this." Um, I think, well, no, I need to practice. I need. Uh, it is a practice, and you know that's what it means. You you can only. <laughs> it, 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 no one can just do it. Um. So so then the question is, I guess. So it's partly it's about reassuring people they haven't failed because everyone we're in a, such an evaluative culture everyone evaluates themselves and thinks they've failed and and just to know that actually we've all we're all failing all the time at it is kind of reassuring. Um, but then I guess the question is well why would you bother then you know why 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 would you what would draw you to put in the practice <laughs> why would you lift up that dumbbell. <laughs> um and I guess that's you know part of that's just about maybe sharing a bit what it's like for you or or maybe why they might you know what what drew them to it in the first place or does anything draw them to it or do they just feel repelled by it in which case well maybe it's not for them at this time but often people come back to it at another time you know so again it's a it's a time of life thing as well I think
0: friends friends, um, have you got some more questions and comments you'd like to um, uh, ask for for us all to have a think about and respond? Well,
2: I haven't got a question as such, Jeff. That's OK. <laughs> but I've got a comment um, in that I agree totally in what Sarah is saying. Um, we've had a meet, what we call our Centering Prayer Meeting Every month uh, until COVID, for the last four or five years, and we practiced within the meeting how we would actually do the centering prayer. We had thirty seconds, and then a minute, then two minutes, then three minutes, and went away and practiced, and came back the next month. Um, and it it really was hard work, mm. but we did it. But there are only four of us left. Everybody else dispersed. Um, And it's really sad because we, I I find it difficult to get other people interested. Mm. And I don't know what we can do to to make them interested. I don't mean make them in inverted commas, but, you know, to allow them to come into the meeting and not feel difficult or different because they haven't practiced. Mm. They haven't. They don't know what this this prayer is. And we had all written instructions, and you know, I was prepared, and so was the minister at the time, prepared to go out and talk to them about it. Um, but we're still left with the four mm. now. Since COVID nineteen lockdown, there's only really been what two two meetings, and that's with a friend in the village that I live in um, and myself mm. uh, twice mm. because the others couldn't come because their other commitments had already taken over mm. and they couldn't come anyway because of the, the lockdown. Mm. Um, so I'm struggling a bit knowing what to do post-COVID mm. this particular meeting. Because I agree, I think it should be in the service because our services are really, really busy. Um, And as soon as somebody says, we're going to be silent for a minute, everybody starts chattering. (laughs) And you sort of think, no, that isn't what was meant. It was meant a minute's silence. Um, I even tried it with the SRE groups that I had and they were brilliant. Yes. You know, because of children's spirituality they were really good and eventually they got the message that if they sat for a minute and were quiet and thought about things very quietly and peacefully then we got on with the lesson otherwise it just staggered it for them yeah, yeah. But, but yes I agree it's it's very hard and I'm finding it difficult now mm. um, because of the break that we've had and and I've had lots of health issues in the last twelve months, so that's not been um, that's not been conducive yeah. uh, to me getting out and about.
1: Yes, yeah. Look, I, I think, um, I think it is just something that um, it, it is quite a difficult practice for people at, for a range of reasons. One is, as you said, it's work. It is, it is you know, and, and, and um, you know, the teachers of meditation or contemplative prayer always talk about the work of prayer or the work of love. It's You know, we, we kind of got this image that we'll just kind of sit down and float away on a pink cloud and it's not like that at all. So that's a bit of a shock to the system. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's that dimension of it. But I think part of what ha- can happen is and again we'd all know this from our own experience but you know there are things that have happened in life that that are painful or and often we use um our busyness or our distractedness mm-hmm. to you know to just keep in the background or or um not 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 fully face or acknowledge or um and so when when you are silent or or still, um, it's uh, some of these things can come up or come to the surface, or some difficult emotions come to the surface. And if people aren't ready or or don't quite know how to engage with those, um, it's easier just to kind of oh, yeah. that's just not for me. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's also. Um, and again, one of these words that that Jeff mentioned that we have as a word significant in benedictus is is reconciliation. and And it seems, you know the deep work of prayer is is reconciliation, again, mm-hmm. of ourselves and our own history, our own struggle, our own pain, as well as the work of reconciliation in the world. But, as we all know, that is, can be painful and difficult oh, and oh. especially if there have been really traumatic experiences, very painful. And so there's can be a whole range of reasons that people, you know, maybe start meditation and then back away or, or you oh. know, they intuit or we also intuit it might ask something of me, you know, like it because what it's asking of me is to go, deeper than the surface level of my life and my interactions is this is why it is a a practice which leads to a deep peace because if we you know we we do go deeper but again um that can be a bit confronting or or a bit scary if you've kept your life at a certain level and all of a sudden, oh, shush, there's this. So there's a, a lot of reasons and I think meditation groups are always going to be small. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the monastic tradition never thought everyone was going to be a monk. You know, it's always. <laughs> but but there's something about it in the ecology of the whole that still matters. Mm. And I think even, even when it's a small group, uh, as part of a bigger congregation or part of a village, you're doing some work there that actually is an important part of the ecology of the whole, even if it never gets very big.
3: Mm. Um,
2: Sarah, yeah. uh, Sarah, can I come in there? Um, thank you very much for your thoughts and uh, for the information about what you've been doing. Uh, a number of years ago, quite many years ago, I attended a number of uh, Quaker meetings, Society of Friends, and honestly um, what you've been talking about seems to me very much like what they practice. Uh, is there something different that you do um, or are you just being a Quaker at the moment?
1: Um, it's a great question, Russ. Thank you. Um, it is different, Um I mean, the, so the Quakers usually it's it's a it's an hour of silence, isn't it? Um, yeah. And yeah. Um, so, individual Quakers might meditate during that hour, but the hour itself is not meditation. It, mm-hmm. it it's an hour of um, silence, but often it's reflection. People are thinking at, in the silence, and uh-huh. then and then if someone feels that they've you know had a word or an inspiration from the spirit, they can get up and break the silence and share their thought. Um, so whereas at benedictus we we I mean, again, people might be reflecting and not meditating, who would know? But, <laughs> but but what we're encouraging is that is that is meditation, which is the laying aside of all thoughts, even prayerful thoughts, even good thoughts. It's not so. There's a, a distinction between reflection and contemplation, ah. and Quakers mostly are reflecting rather than contemplating.
2: Right. Thank you. Thank you for making that clear.
1: And they can break the silence. And and, and the other difference, which is you know not a, it kind of bit tangential to that point, but we also we scaffold the silence with. Um, you know with with liturgy, with opening responses, with a reading from scripture, with a with a sermon, um, we sing, and we have the fifteen minutes of silence. Oh, um, we celebrate the Eucharist every third week, so uh, whereas the Quaker is is just this just the hour of silence, there's no scaffolding in terms of word or yeah. sacrament.
2: Good, thank
0: you, Sarah. You're welcome. Thanks, everyone. It's um, been a great conversation. Is anybody else uh, dying to uh, get a word in? (laughs) (laughs) There's
1: a couple of um, things on the chat. Um,
0: Something you'd like to respond to?
1: um, So, one of the things I love about the Uniting Church is that we can accept lots of different ways. This surely includes people who don't want to be silent or meditate. Um, yeah, and I, I guess part of the different different um, denomination or, di- you know, different ecclesial expressions do offer different things and, again, it's important that there be a, an ecology, <laughs> a, a, you know, a, a range of things. Um, and, you know, I guess there would be people who come to Benedictus who... Um, they kind of feel like, oh, actually, this isn't for me. Like 15 minutes of silence in the middle of every service is just, you know, that's just kind of too much for me. Um, but then there are other places that people can go, um, as you say, that don't have that. So
3: I think that question um, from me was more about so often um, retreats and things that we organise as a uniting church doesn't offer a choice. It's, it's now are the times of silence or now are, are contemplative times and things um, on the assumption that everybody that goes to the retreat will want to do that. Mm. And people, people like me that don't, um, particularly when I was working out in the far west and living on my own and travelling on my own, when I got to be with a whole bunch of people, I actually wanted to talk to them. Yes. Um, but many of our retreats don't allow for that sort of stuff. We go, this is what a retreat will look like, and it has built in this stuff. And I think that is a, that's an issue, I think. Um, mm. You sort of feel like you've got to sneak off with someone to go and have a coffee um, mm. because you want to talk to them and stuff. I think as a church we have to be really careful that we don't say, you know, the best way to do anything is this. Mm. and And it's a monastic tradition of silence or whatever, or the best way is never to have silence- you know like mm. you have to be really carefully to have the broad approach in everything that we do i think mm. I mean that doesn't um that doesn't imply you know your service is is built around meditation and and that that we need to have services like that, and we need to have services in other places that suit different types of people i think mm, mm,
2: mm, mm.
3: yeah.
1: And it's interesting, I've I've run retreats where exactly that issue, you know, the a mixture of some people just desperate for some silence and solitude and other people who live on their own, desperate but, you know, it not be like that and, and trying to offer that mixed mixed space, yeah.
0: Okay, I think that's a good place to wrap things up today. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's been uh, a very rich conversation and much food for thought for all of us, I think, as we try to shape and uh, think about Christian community and how it will emerge in mm-hmm. time to come. So thank You're you so welcome. much. and um, are Blessings to everybody um, this uh, today and as you go during the week. Thank you. Goodbye,
2: thank you. Thanks for having thank me. Thank you, Sarah. Perfect. Bye. 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 Bye.
0: Thank you for joining Conversations in Christian Community today. Further podcasts are available on saltbushcommunity.uca.org.au website. Thanks for joining us for Salted Conversations. Bye for now.